0: As I like to do every Sunday morning, the focus is on the Scriptures, and so I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Romans, Romans chapter 1. We're going to finish what we started two weeks ago. Isn't it hard to believe that, you know, last week we had six inches of snow or something out there, and uh, some of you all thought that was kind of deep, so we didn't have church, but... uh, yeah, and this morning, it's just nice sunshine. But uh, So we're going to finish what we started there, and uh, we're not going to go back and rehash that, but we're just going to start fresh this morning. But I do want to read uh, all seven scriptures, all seven verses before you, or put them before you this morning so that you have it all in context. And so Romans chapter 1, starting reading at verse 1, God's inspired and inerrant and infallible word reads, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning His Son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Our verses for today. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we just uh, ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. Now, Lord, as we dig into them, and had uh, some meaning to them, Father, I pray that uh, your Spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds, not only to understand what the Scripture said, but to also know how to apply it to our life. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. The clarion call, it says point, part two, but we wouldn't have to have the part two there, uh, so we just call it simply the clarion call. And it's the last point of these seven verses of the prologue. And this one is the call of the message, the call of the message. And so for the past month or so, we've been circling the airport of this prologue, if you will, to the letter of the Romans. And so today we're finally going to be landing this plane with the clarion call, with the clarion call. The meaning of the phrase clarion call, it's one that we know, right? We're we're quite familiar with it, but it's just to request Make a request that is strongly desired or urgent. And it dates all the way back to the Middle Ages where the clarion call was given. It was a trumpet call before before a battle or some, some grand or some great announcement was being made. That's what it is. It's a clarion call. It's some urgent message that is now being made or going to be conveyed. And so the intensity in which the clarion call is given is directly related to the importance of the message. And I would offer to you this morning that the message is indeed of great importance. Two Sundays ago, our focus was on the cost of the message. And the cost of the message, the gospel of God, was grace. It was grace. We know grace is free to us, but grace costs someone something. Time to time, we hear there's no such thing as a free lunch. And indeed, there is no such thing as free lunch. Grace cost someone something. It was upon the cross that the cost of the message was paid. It was upon the cross that the wrath of God was satisfied. It was upon the cross that the debt we owe was paid. Grace cost the father his son, and, the son, and grace cost the son his life. Grace was ratified by the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And the grace that you and I so desperately need is not even remotely possible for us to achieve by our own works. The grace that every single one of us desires and we know within our heart that we need and we know that there's nothing we can do to earn it or to receive it, but it is this grace that is provided to us by his son, by Jesus and given to us by the Father. Not only have we been given this free grace, but as we notice in verse 5, and this is where we want to pick it up for today, in verse 5 that we have received grace, but we have also received an apostleship. We have also been given an assignment. We've also been sent out. This grace that we have been given is now given to us as apostles, as those who will be sent out to share this message, to give this clarion call. But just before we get started too far, I want to take a little bit of a pause and insert a little footnote here when we think about the word apostleship. See, apostles such as the Twelve and Paul and a few others within the Scriptures, they've all ceased at the end of the apostolic age. To have a biblical apostleship is clearly defined in Scripture especially in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where a list was given, some of the the conditions were given on who could be a biblical apostle. And at the very end of verse 2, it says that the the apostle must have also been there and seen and witnessed Jesus rising from the grave. So a, a true biblical definition of apostleship, apostle, is somebody who walked with Jesus, seen Jesus, seeing him die, seeing him rise again from the grave. So in that sense, there are no apostles today in that sense. Some today like to claim this title of apostle for themselves, but they're just flat out wrong. There is no more apostles such as the ones in the Scripture. This denomination has ended at the death of the last person who was there and witnessed and physically witnessed the life of Jesus. However, this is where you and I come in. In a very general sense, all who are called of God have also been given an assignment, a mission. It is the call of the message. It is the clarion call. In that sense, every single one of us is an apostle because we have been given an assignment and we too have been sent out. We too have a mission to fulfill, a mission to carry out. And so I want to come back here to verse 5. Through whom, through Jesus, we have received grace. We have received an apostleship. What's the purpose of this apostleship? To bring about obedience of faith. To bring about obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, among all the Gentiles in this sense, is all the unbelievers. And so it's to bring about a faith in all the believers for, for his name's sake, for God's glory, for God's honor not for ours. It's not for us to receive any rewards by doing it, but it's for the sake of the name of Jesus that we carry this message. That's a serious message, isn't it? That's a serious responsibility that we have been given, to carry the message, the gospel of God, His Son, who, through whom we have grace, to carry that message into the world, into the world. And this is This is where we want to go here this morning. You see, Paul is often accused of being dismissive of works. Paul is often accused of being a legalist, if you will, of being someone that's concerned only with doctrine. Paul is often someone who is thought of as being very hard-nosed. As I heard here some, uh, especially more of the liberal scholars, say that, that they love Jesus and they endure Paul. Well, I kind of understand what is being communicated and conveyed there. But if that's our thought of Paul, that view isn't really correct. And so hopefully, uh, as we study through this gospel or this letter to the Romans, we will see that come out. Because works count for nothing. As Paul says in his scripture, verse 17, he says there that uh, the righteous man shall live by faith. Paul indeed did stress faith, righteousness through faith alone in Christ alone as revealed in Scripture alone for the glory of God alone. Paul did indeed emphasize faith is a righteous gift or righteousness comes through faith, a belief in Christ. It was this very verse that we will get to when we go there that Martin Luther changed his whole life upside down, his apple cart, if you will, when he was a man who went off as a young man, and he went off into college after he was almost struck off with lightning, and he said, God, if you save my life, I will live for you. And he went into the monastery, and he said and all the things that he did to try to earn that salvation. And he worked so hard as a young man. He was a very dedicated man, and he came, he came after a few years realizing that there was absolutely nothing that I could do. He was totally distraught, totally dismayed. He said, How can I earn this right standing before a holy, righteous, just God? And he read this verse. The just man shall live by faith. And that's when Paul, or that's when Luther realized, I have it all wrong. There's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. It is the free gift of God alone. Luther called James a letter of straw because the letter, because the book of James teaches so much about obtaining justification through works, or about works, as is often said. It's like, you know, we do this often too, don't we? We jump out of one ditch only to jump into the next. And, and so here we have James, who seems to be teaching that no works is through, or, or, or faith is through works. And then here we have Paul that says, no, 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 the, the works amount for nothing. It's all about only faith. And we have these two camps, and often we find ourselves there too, right? Maybe you, and I, as I have, came out of a very legalistic church, a very authoritative church, a church that was all about making sure my hair was the right length and making sure my clothes looked correct. And it was all about the do and, uh, and how I acted. And when I realized I, too, could not live up to that, I completely went to the other side and embraced everything I could possibly embrace that the church said was not Okay. You would jump from one ditch into the next, and we realize somewhere there's this balance. And we often do that as Christian people. We so much think about, um, you know, there's a term that you hear floated around. Sometimes it's hyper-Calvinism, and it just means that, wor- that, that works count for absolutely nothing. There's nothing you can do, and so just live it up. That's incorrect, but that's often where we find ourselves as a Christian church. We understand and we acknowledge and we realize that there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation And so we can just do whatever we want. Don't judge me. I don't have to do fill in the blank because I'm saved by grace alone, and that is 100% true. But there's also a term that you should familiarize yourself with, and that is antinomianism. Antinomianism is just against law. It's anti-law, meaning that any, any teachings, anything that says thou shalt, those things don't matter per se. Because it is all about this faith that Paul teaches, about this justification by faith. You see, there's these traps that we find ourselves in. And so this morning, I want to say that, yes, we're saved by faith and Hopefully, you know that by now with my preaching, that it is in Christ alone and faith alone. That's it. There's nothing that we can do. And yet, Paul here says, he brings in this word obedience, that grace and apostleship, are given to us to bring about obedience, not only in the unbelievers, but also in ourselves. See, James talks so much on works. What use is it, James says in in chapter 2, verse 14? What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone has faith but has no works, can that faith save him? Verse 17, faith, if it has no works, is dead by itself. Verse 18, Someone may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. What's James saying? He's saying that, look, he's not dismissing faith. He's not elevating works. And yet he's saying, you can say you have faith and maybe you do, but what's the evidence of it? James says, the evidence of my faith is works. Although the very works that you may be trying to do is a facade, is false. It's for show, as a Pharisee, if you will. And so there's our quagmire that we find ourselves in. So James and Paul do not contradict each other. No, they're just coming at it from two different angles. They're both elevating obedience, works, obedience, faith. And we too must acknowledge those two cannot coexist, but they exist together they, They make one. They don't just put up with each other, but the two molded together. They're distilled in this belief that we call following Jesus. And so as we continue in Romans, it will become clear that faith and obedience are not two separate responses to the gospel, but one unified response of obedient faith or faithful obedience. Karl Barth, the theologian, said this. He said, faith is not obedience. But as obedience is not obedience without faith. Faith is not faith without obedience. They belong together as do thunder and lightning in a thunderstorm. I like that image. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that the person who believes is obedient and the person who is obedient believes. You see, the two go together. Paul here opens his letter, and he closes his letter in much the same way. He bookends it with this idea of obedience in the verse that I just read. And then also at the end of Romans, Romans chapter 16, in the doxology as Paul closes out his letter, Romans 16, he says that now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. In the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but is now manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's prologue, Paul's doxology, both pull these in. Scripture, obedience. Scripture and obedience. They're the bookends of Paul's letter. Both of them are there. Both of them are important. So faith without obedience is no faith at all. I've said that often enough this morning. What does it look like? What does faithful obedience or obedient faith look like? And so just a couple examples for you that will hopefully give some application for you this morning. In Mark chapter 2, verse 14, when Jesus was calling the apostles and Jesus came to a tax collector's booth. He came along there and Matthew, Levi, same person. Was sitting there as the, as the he was the accountant he was the he worked for the IRS and Jesus comes along and says as he passed by he saw Levi or Matthew the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth and he said to him follow me Matthew Levi got up and followed Jesus this is all we have we're not told if there was any other dialogue we just see this simple obedience of faith and Matthew gets up walks away from his job, if you will, and follows Jesus. We have another example of this in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, you can turn there if you want. I'll spend a little more time here. In Luke chapter 9, verses. Well, starting at verse 57, I'm not going to read it all, but we're familiar with it. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said what? The foxes have holes, the bird have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He comes along to somebody else and he says, hey, you follow me. And the guy says, no, 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 no. I, I, can't follow my, I can't follow you yet. You know, I can't do that because my, my father died and I got to go bury my dead father. We have those accounts. You're familiar with it. I want to go to the third one is the one I want to focus on this morning. Verse 61, another came up to Jesus and said, very much like, this, like the first one, came up to Jesus and says, I will follow you, but first. But first, he wants to put conditions on how he follows Jesus. I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. It seems like a reasonable request, does it not? Jesus, I will follow you when you meet these conditions. In essence, is what he is saying, is he not? I will follow you. When I have said goodbye, when I have finished my job, when I have retired, when I have made enough money, when the kids are raised out of the house, when the kids are out of college, when is when. This is what we do when we say, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go, but. We put the but there. And Jesus says what? Verse 62. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Listen, you're going to plow? Plow. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, you're going to say you're going to follow me, and yet you're going to put these perimeters, and yet you're going to sit. No, okay, I'm going to give you a list of things you must meet, and then I will follow you. It's no different than a man who says, I'm going to go plow in the field, and then seems to lose interest in plowing, and looks back, and the, and the horses go wherever with the plow. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow. No one who says he's going to follow me and then doesn't follow through works for me. In essence, that's what Jesus is saying. Look, you want to follow me? Then follow me. You say you believe me? You say you have faith in me? Then be obedient. Follow what the Bible, follow what my, teach, my scriptures teach. I can post and I can list and I can say all kinds of Christianese things but without obedience, that faith is worthless. That faith is worthless. In um, verse 6, verse 6 of our text here this morning, he continues, Paul does, and he says, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Now, what does he mean here, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ? So obviously, we need to take a little look at this here, this word called. Who are the called? Is that an invitation that is given? Cletos, it certainly can mean an invitation. It's used 11 times throughout the scriptures, but only one time is it ever used as an invitation. There's only one time that this word throughout the whole scriptures, only 11 times in the New Testament that it's in the sense of an invitation. Meaning that that someone whose participation or presence has been requested. When we give somebody an invitation, it's up to them. Are they going to accept it or are they not going to accept it? It's used one time, 10 times. It's a request that is given which cannot be refused. You can't refuse it. You can't reject it. It is not an option. When Jesus says, follow me, you don't put conditions on it. It's not an option. These here who are called are following Jesus because it's demand that was put on to their life. I want to give you two examples of this that will help maybe to bring some meaning to it or some understanding to it. And I want to use two other Bible writers. Paul says it often, but I want to give you an example of Jude. In Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude. Um, so in Jude verse 1, Jude says this. To those who are the called, again, he's using the word here. To those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. The called will be kept. But we'll leave that for another day. I also want to go to Revelation chapter 7. I'm sorry, 11, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 14. It's that epic battle, Right? It's, it's, it's right here when the doom of Babylon. Babylon is, well, we won't get into that, but Babylon it be, be all nations or any empire. And it's at the fall of the empire. And there's going to be this epic battle at the end of the age. And, and John picks it up here in verse or verse, chapter 17, verse 14, when he says this, These those kings of those empires will wage war against the Lamb, Jesus, and the Lamb will overcome them. Why? Because... He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. Again, here we see our word. The ones who are going to join Jesus in this epic battle are the ones who are called, the ones who are chosen, and the ones who are faithful. Originally, I thought, well, that's just three words, three adjectives for the same person, but I don't think it is. It's a progression that is happening. And this is what I want to, uh, want to point out to you here this morning. It's a progression that is happening. You're called, and then you answer the call. You're chosen, and you're faithful. It's a process that happens right here. You see, not all who are called confirm their calling by faithfully following. As Jesus also said, many are called, but few are chosen. We all have been given an invitation this morning. Every single one of us has been called. Every single one of us is required to answer the question. It's the clarion call. You have been given the clarion call. If you're here this morning and hearing my words, if you're in the coffee house, if you're watching on live stream, the call has been given. God has called you to lay aside your life, to lay aside your work, to lay aside your wants and your needs and your desires and follow him unconditionally. That's the obedience. Will you answer the call? The call has been given. The call is non-negotiable. You have been summoned to court, if you will. You must answer the call. Indeed, you will answer the call. You will either answer it on this side of the grave or the other. But you will stand before this Lord, before this king, and you will give account for how you answered that call. <laughs> you know, life is full of regrets. It's just full of regrets. I have many. I have more than all of you put together probably. Don't regret this one. Don't make this mistake. This is a regret that cannot be recovered from. You must answer the call. Will you accept the invitation? 2 Peter 1.10 tells us that be all the more diligent. That word diligent is just to work hard to make sure about his calling. I want to switch over now from those who have accepted that call and the require of obedience that comes with it. We who have been given this call and accepted this call and answered to this call, we must be faithful in the work that we have been given to do. It's, it's our job now to go forth and take this clarion call. We started Romans with the messenger and the message. The messenger was Paul's slave of Christ. The message was the gospel of God. Grace was salvation. We too are messengers. We have been given a message that we are to take forth like the clarion call. We have been given an assignment. You nor I get to set the terms of that assignment. As we... This Sunday morning to a close We're going to sing the song again That we started this That they sang, the praise team sang the last And I just want to hear A few of the words that are in this song Because we can sing songs without necessarily Hearing the words that are In the song themselves The song goes like this Where you go I'll go Where you stay I'll stay Where you move I'll move I will follow you Who you love, I'll love. Who you serve or how you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. Don't sing those songs empty, those words empty. If you don't mean them, don't sing them. If this life I lose, I will follow you. You're going to plow? Plow. Father, I just thank you this morning for your word. Father, I pray, Lord, that uh, those who hear the call will indeed answer the call. And those of us who have answered the call, Father, give us courage, give us strength. Help us to be obedient, not because it earns our salvation, but because of what you've done on our behalf to take forth that call and to say it loudly, say it often, say it to everyone. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.